0: Lord God, we know that your praise and glory will never fail, never fade throughout eternity. Lord, we are privileged if we are called uh, one of your children that we will be with you for that eternity. And uh, Lord, we know that it's our calling to uh, take as many with us as we can to share the message of the good news, the gospel to a lost and dying world. Lord, help us to do that each and every day. Help us to follow you and be faithful. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hey, as you're being seated, please... uh... May call your attention to one of these blue cards. It's a connection card, and uh, I know you get tired of me saying this, but I'm going to say it again because it matters. Uh, if you're with us maybe for the first or second time, we would love uh, for you to fill this out so we can get to know who you are and who's worshiping with us, and if you have any questions about the church, you can a- ask those on this card, and we'll be happy to get with you. Uh, there's prayer cards as well, so please uh, fill those out, and we'll be faithful to pray pray for you. We're asking you to do uh, the impossible today. We're asking you to think about a Savior who is so close to us that He gave His life for you, gave His life for me. But also a God who is so high and exalted that it would be impossible for Him to have a relationship with such a sinner, such a wretch as I. But We have to think about those two together, don't we? And I pray today that through our songs and through our worship, we'll be able to put those two thoughts together and reconcile those. Isaiah says this in chapter 6, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. The train of His robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had two wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke."
1: To him who was and is to come. Hallelujah. Heaven and earth bow down. To him who created crowns for thorns.
0: saying holy 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 are you let's do it come before you. We try uh, humbly to approach your holiness knowing we have no standing at all without the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf and we just give you praise for that. Lord we just uh, pray that you would uh, help us to understand how we should give to you, how we we should give back to you. We're not trying to give back to achieve anything, to get anything. Uh, We can't give that much but Lord help us to give in a way that uh, shows our faithfulness, shows uh, our allegiance to you and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: Amen. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost. I was blind. I was running
3: out of
2: time. The sins set the rain. The bridge was far too wide. But from the far side.
3: Glory to him.
4: Well, good morning. If, I, if my voice is kind of irritating to you today, and some of you will say, yes, it's always irritating, <laughs> you talking head, uh, I apologize. have a little congestion and sickness going on. I'm much better today than yesterday, praise the Lord. And so we'll press on in our study in the book of Hebrews. Uh, for some of you, uh, you're getting tired of an exposition of like, what, three verses so far, just hold on. We'll take bigger uh, sections eventually, but trust me, it's very important that you understand what's going on in these first four verses so that you understand the rest of the book and the terminology that we've been able to look at, the language that again, the book of Hebrews is unique to itself in its eloquence and the incredible, masterful use of the Greek language. And we've been trying to do our best to bring out why that's important. And I think the number one reason is because we have such a magnificent Savior. That language cannot comprehend who He is, and that's what the writer is doing, led by the inspiration of the Spirit to write it. There was a song written in the 1850-60 range by Philip Bliss. And it's called, Man of Sorrows, What a Name. In your hymn book, it's hymn number 175. So, would you guys put that up for me? Um, just, just look how this is so in line with the book of Hebrews. Man of Sorrows, What a Name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement. You remember that last week? Having purified, can it be? Hallelujah, what a Savior. And then into today, lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry, now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a Savior. And if that's not enough, he's coming again. When he comes, our glorious king, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. That catches somewhat of what I'm trying to preach to you out of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. There is a student of the word, a really good writer, theologian. His name is John T. Rhodes. And he's written a book called Man of Sorrows, King of Glory. And of course, you know what it's following, Man of Sorrows, um, what a name. And when he writes this book, he does, the subtitle is called, What the Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus Mean. So the point is, if we're going to see the whole picture of the person and work of Christ, then we need to ask the question, not just ask the question what he's done for us, we need to ask the question of what he's doing now. That's very important. His humiliation, what is that? What is the humiliation of Christ? Philippians 2 verse 8 says that he humbled himself. Came to the and being obedient unto death. Just think of that for a moment. That's his humiliation. But it didn't start at the cross. It started when he got off his throne. And was born in Bethlehem. That's humiliation for the God of glory to take on man and man's nature. But that's what happened. So, his humiliation began at his incarnation. And it takes him through his burial. His exaltation begins at his resurrection. And it ends never. Right? So... Rhodes says, in a right desire to be cross centered, it's possible that we've fallen into a trap of only ever speaking about Christ in his humiliation and we're neglecting his ongoing work in his state of exaltation. So perhaps without noticing it, we began to preach what he calls a disconnected Christ. Jesus was a great Savior, he was the Messiah, he was God's Son come to earth. Where's the problem at in those statements? It's not the nouns, and it's not the verbs. To be more precise, it's the tenses. It's not that Jesus was our Savior, folks. He remains our Savior today. He's just as active as He was 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. He's just as active. He's ruling today as the exalted King. He is speaking today through His Word as the prophet who God has spoken through His last word. And He is our high priest today in heaven, heaven, ever making intercession for you and me. He is prophet, priest, and king. He was, and He is, and He always will be prophet, priest, and king. Again, Rhodes says, it's so easy to slip into the mindset that Jesus died for our sins, retired into heaven, and now it's our job to go after the people. It's easy to slip into that mode until we read the words, I will build my church. Y'all do know who said that. Not Pastor Philip, but the Lord Jesus Christ. I will build my church. Listen to this, I will. It is the Lord who is building His church, not us. He's still active as the conquering King. So we must never disconnect Christ from His ongoing ministry today. Again, listen to Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance. That is is actually a participle. He He is radiating the glory of God, He is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And after making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we have humiliation, but we also have exaltation. He sat down. Don't disconnect those two things. Yes, He's your Savior. Yes, He accomplished your redemption, making purification. But he's also seated. He is exalted at the, most, at the right hand of the Most High. And he's still working. He's still active. And we don't need to disconnect this. And then the Bible says, Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. It occurred to me after I preached last week that I need to give a little bit more... Definitive application to what it means for him to have purified us from our sins. So in your bulletin, you'll notice that it's just not he's seated at the right hand or exalted to the right hand of God. But you also see again, once again, he is the one who made purification for our sins. So here is the purpose for his humiliation. Why did God become man? He did so for many reasons. But in this text, he became man in order to purify us from our sins. The King James Version does a really good job. And it adds in the words, by himself. So, it would read, by himself making purification for our sins. Why does the KJV pick up on that? Because it is the middle voice in the Greek. So, it is, hear this now. He made purification himself. By himself he did this. Now this is helping us to think ahead uh, of the fact that Hebrews is going to teach you that the Old Testament sacrificial system was in perpetuity. It was repeated. Uh, One single offering could never do it. But he himself did it. The priest, when he went in in the Old Testament, had to get purification for his own sin before he made purification. Purification for the sins of the people. Not so with Christ. Why? He's the sinless Son of God. He Himself, by Himself, made purification for our sins. It had provided, not will provide, or is providing. Purification has been made. He has accomplished this. He died once, For all time. And his death on the cross was the, listen to me, the complete payment for sins. That's why he cried, it is finished. He purged us from our sins. I was dirty. He was clean. That's getting to the root of the word purification. He became dirty that I might become clean. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, for our sakes He became poor, that we, through His poverty, might become rich. Are y'all getting this? What a great Christmas text. He was rich and became poor for our sake. That was His humiliation. So, I'm not picking on people, but I want you to understand the magnitude of what's being said in this text. In Catholic teaching regarding life after death, it can be summarized in this way. When you die, your soul goes to one of three places. If you die with unforgiven mortal sin, you go to hell. The most obvious example of unforgiven mortal sin would be a deliberate rejection of Jesus Christ as Lord. In this we would certainly agree with our Catholic friends that if you reject Christ, it does mean you're going to spend eternity in hell forever. Another view, the uh, their second thing is if you die in a state of perfect holiness, you go directly into the presence of God. That's the second thing they believe. Perfect holiness means to be in such a state when you die that there's no sin in your life that stands between you and the Lord. Are y'all tracking with me? So obviously, there are very few people in their theology that meets that standard. If you die as a believer in Christ, but in a state that's less than perfect holiness, you go to purgatory, where your soul is purified until you're ready to enter in to the presence of God. This would include nearly all believers in their theology, because virtually no one, even in their Catholic thinking, achieves perfect holiness in this life. How long do people stay in purgatory? The answer is no one knows. The length of the time depends in large part on the kind of life that you've actually lived and the state of your soul at the moment of death. Since only God, right, can make those judgments, purgatory may be as short as a few hours. It may actually be, uh, last a hundred or so thousand years. You could be in there There's just no way of knowing that. The greater point is that in Catholic understanding, almost all believers go to purgatory. And almost all of them, almost none of them go directly into heaven. Now, again, the Pope, if he speaks from his chair, can change this view. Y'all do know that. We don't believe the Bible can ever change. But they change their traditions. And as long as he speaks from the chair of Peter, he's infallible. And he could change this, right? He could change this view. Thus, there has been developed this elaborate doctrine of prayers for the dead. Y'all know that's where that comes from. If you're in purgatory, we need to pray for the dead. We need to have mass for the dead. We need to light candles for the dead. We need to do the rosary for the dead and so on. So, this doctrine has at least one practical result. Many Catholics fear death because they fear purgatory. No matter how devout you've been, you can never be sure what purgatory is like. How long will you be there? Or when will you finally get to heaven? Or when will you finally get to heaven? So, there can be no real assurance of eternal life under this doctrine. Now, practically speaking, I've preached a lot of funerals and to be honest with you, it breaks your heart sometimes because you do funerals of people when you don't know them especially and you conclude that It seems like in this family there was no evidence that this person actually knew the Lord. And so we struggle with that. And we say, wow, that person really needed to be fixed before they went off to heaven. We think about this, don't we? Again, I realize that's an earthly way of thinking of this as we deal with funerals. As a practical matter, I'm sure that we will join the hymn writer today too, practically, prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. I'm prone to leave the God that I love. Even the best of us come to the end of life, near death, conscious of your faults, conscious of your hidden sins. Folks, I don't know how many times I've witnessed this at the bedside of people dying. Bad habits never conquered. Good deeds never done. And sins repeated time and time again. Not many of us seem ready for heaven. Do we? Think of this. It's that observation which we share or or that is very accurate that leads Catholic friends to suppose that there must be some kind of place. Some kind of condition where all those earthly faults are purged before we can actually pass through the gates of heaven. Our problem at this point is a familiar problem. It's one that a lot of evangelicals still share in common to this very day. We don't understand the grace of God. And many of you in this building, you don't understand the grace of God. And this is a reminder for all of us. Even after years of you hearing preaching on the topic... Sometimes it really doesn't sink in to us. This is not surprising. Why? Because there's no doctrine more repugnant to our nature than the doctrine that everything God does, he does freely by his grace and for his glory. Deep down in our evangelical hearts, we like to think, yes, we're sinners. But when you get really down to it, we're not really that bad. Don't we? We, we seem to always fall into that trap. To borrow the words of Anselm in, in 1033, you've not yet considered how great your sin really is. And I think that's the problem. This is true of all of us. If we understood how, fall, how far short we fall to the glory of God. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God if we understood, you would cling more to the grace of God than any other notion to getting you ready for heaven. Because the only thing that can get you ready for heaven is the grace of Jesus. The truth goes like this. You're actually worse than you think you are. And God's grace is far greater than anything you could ever imagine. That's the truth of Scripture. The question regarding purgatory boils down to this. I'm coming back. Does the death of Christ purify us from our sins so that when we die, we go directly to heaven? Or must we be further purified in purgatory? Oh. Hebrews 1.3 is your answer. That's the biblical insight. That's the strength of that word Purification. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. When he had by himself, KJV, purged our sins. This is the closest verse anywhere in the Bible to purgatory, right? And it doesn't happen after you die. It doesn't happen, and it can't happen. It's not in the Bible anywhere. It's in their traditions, but they're man-made. This is what the Bible says. And this purgatory happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. It's not something I suffer. It's something that he suffered for me. He purged our sins. It's not something you're going to ever suffer if you're a child of God. He suffered it for you. That's the glory of the gospel. I'm never going to face purgatory because Jesus purged my sins on the cross. Purgatory. Yeah, right. To paraphrase an old gospel hymn, what can purge away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. He died in my place. Note the text uses the word after. It literally means having made Referring to a completed action in the past. The purging of our sins took place at the cross. Hear me this morning. No more purging is necessary. Trust Christ. Trust what Jesus did. That's why the gospel is so vitally important. There is no salvation. There is no purging apart from Jesus. Amen? All right, that was all free. Please take note of that. That's why it's so important for you to know what and why you believe what you believe. So you can put your head on your pillow tonight and rest assured that if you're in Christ and you don't wake up in the morning, you'll wake up in glory with Jesus. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If World War III starts, I think it's probably already started in some ways, and Americans wake up tomorrow morning and we're in shambles. You don't have to worry about it if you're in Christ. Right? Right? You don't have to worry about it. For me to live is Christ. Whatever time God gives us on earth to live is Christ. And hallelujah, to die is gain. Philippians 1.21. That's what the Bible teaches us. So, today, he is the exalted one who sits at the right hand of God. That's the point, second point. Listen, he is radiating the glory of God, participial phrase. He is upholding the universe by the word of his power, not with pulleys, but with his word. That's why this world is hanging together. Uh, That's why there's all these galaxies and all these things that are, are set in their place and they don't move. Why? Because Jesus is holding it together. Participial phrases, radiating the glory of God, upholding the universe by the word of his power, Having made purification, all three of those participles lead up to this. He sat down. Radiating, right? Upholding, right? Making. And once he does all three of those things, he sat down. That's where it, that's where the text is headed. So the fact that the sun is sitting indicates that his work is finished, as in what he did in the past. Making purification for our sins. And so Hebrews, for some of you who want me to get on with the program and preach ahead, I will. Uh, We will get to chapter 7 and we will talk about Melchizedek. Because a lot of you want to know about Melchizedek, just pump the brakes. But here's the deal. This sitting down is anticipating something in the future. Chapter 10. Verses 11 through 14. And every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. Which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice. He sat down at the right hand of of God. Do y'all hear this? That's what this is anticipating. And we're going to get to see that eventually. But the fact that he sat down. What they did in perpetuity that could never take away sins, Christ did it one time by his death. Who knew no sin and is completed forever. Isn't that great? It's awesome. So there's the contrast between Jesus and the Levitical priest. Now, did you like sitting down? My wife confined me to my lazy boy yesterday. She said, you're not going out of the house. And I said, yes, ma'am. Because I wasn't feeling the best. And I sat in my chair. The Lord did a good thing when he made a lazy boy. Did he not? <laughs> I mean, when I get done with this sermon. And I eat at Godfather's or wherever I go. I'm going to go home. And I'm probably going to sit in my chair. What time do the Chiefs play? 3:30? 3.30? Yeah, I can sleep until the Chiefs come on. Right? So, sitting down is a good thing. But I want you to magnify that understanding when it comes to this. Okay? Because when he sat down... It, it, not only is it anticipating the Levitical priests and the fact that what they did was ongoing, when he sat down, the actuality is it completed the work. It was definitive. He made purification, sat down. So this is Psalm 119, Christology. Listen to Psalm, I'm sorry. Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Okay, So Hebrews 1, 3 is echoing back to Psalm 110. Sit at my right hand, that's where Christ is now, until I make all your enemies your footstool. So, sitting down is an act of that's definitive. It's complete. It conveys authority. It, it certainly demonstrates that that work of purification is complete. Priests that went into the tabernacle in the Old Testament could never sit down. They never even thought about sitting down in the presence of God because they're making sacrifices for the people that they were going to have to continually do every single day. Listen, folks, the work was never done. The priesthood had to do it in perpetuity. The writer of Hebrews will tell us that the blood of goats and calves could never take away sins. Yet here is Christ, through His own blood... The sacrifice of himself, of the eternal covenant, given once for all. And because redemption is now complete, purification was established. Christ sat down. And he sat down because he could cry out, it is finished on the cross. That's why he sat down. And he's going to come forth after he was buried from the grave in victory through the resurrection. He was going to ascend into heaven. Why? Mission fulfilled. Mission accomplished. But hear this. He sits down because the son who is the priest is also the king. Prophet, priest, and king. He sits because he is king. But remember, there is a different phase of Christ's ministry now. He's still the same king, still the same prophet, still the same priest... But there's a shift in his exaltation to the ministry that he now has. Right? He's not up there after saying, I had a long, hard day at work and I plopped down in my lazy boy and I'm tired. He's sitting down because he has something else to do. And you better be very thankful that he's doing it for you. He's ruling and he's reigning and he's making all of Christ's enemies a footstool for him. Middle East, not an accident. God is in the process of making all of his enemies his footstool. That's a promise. He's going to do this. He's ruling and he's reigning until the last enemy to be abolished is death. That's what the Bible says. So he also sits down as our high priest. He's entered something called session. You ever heard of that before? It's what we wish Congress would do. Because when they usually are in session, that means they're spending our money on things that they shouldn't spend our money on. And we know that. But when we say Congress is in session, it means that they're seated and they're doing legislation or they're working on behalf of the people. So, this means that they're sitting down to do something. Well, the son's session is very different. He's seated in order to make intercession for his people. Isn't that awesome? Chapter 7, please anticipate this. The Levitical priesthood was never permanent. They couldn't sit down. Listen to this. Chapter 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If he ever stopped making intercession for you, you'd be eternally lost. Here's the guarantee that you're going to be in heaven. Because... The son has the father's ear. Nobody's as close to the father as the son. And he prays for you forever, with never without ceasing. That's, that's just one reason why you're eternally secure. If he ever stopped praying, yes, you'd be doomed. But he never stops praying. This is what he's doing today. So, he, he intercedes. But he also has this place of supreme honor and authority. The royal son has royal power and authority. He's seated in heaven. He sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Folks, this is the highest place of honor. Jesus sits at the right hand of God because he has the highest honor God could ever give to a son. Not a biological son, but the son of the divine trinity Wherein Jesus, the Son of God, always existed. Please make sure you understand that. He's the exact imprint of his image. He's the essence of the image of God. He He radiates the glory of God. Why? Because the Son is God. Okay? Don't separate this. But when he's seated there, that's the highest honor. If there were another crown to give to him, the Lord would. There's not another crown. If there was a higher seat in the universe... He would actually be in it. But Jesus is seated. He's the Lord. He's the King. And this is exalted language. Don't you love big theological terms? This is circumlocution. You know what that means? We don't know how to describe God with language, so we use the term majesty. And it's a roundabout way of getting to the fact that he is transcendent. and high. You, you can't think higher than the majesty of God. That's what that means. It's a roundabout way in theology to say, He's transcendent. How do we describe him? Well, the sun is at the majesty, at the right hand of the majesty on high. It indicates heaven. And it introduces the the thinking of Christ's exaltation. He dies this horrible, brutal death of shame in your place. But where is he now? He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. He sits down because his work is finished. He's very God, a very God, and yet he still took the place of sinners. Hallelujah. He's exalted in the heavens. Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. Do y'all know where we're headed? Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away. Do y'all hear me? He's the exalted king. He's ruling and reigning. He bore your sins in his body on the tree. He is God. He's exalted in heaven. Listen to him. He spoke in times past through various prophets in various times. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in son. So listen to him. Are y'all getting this? you got to listen to him. This is building up to the argument that we need to listen. Folks, don't drift away from Jesus. Don't do it. Don't move an inch away from who Christ is in his person. If you deny that he's God, then you have denied that he can save. Only God can save sinners. If If you deny that he became man, then you're the spirit of the Antichrist. John chapter 1 John 2. If anyone denies that Christ has come in the flesh, he is the spirit of the Antichrist. Do you understand how important it is to believe rightly about the Son of God? Who he is, what he has accomplished. Listen to him. Jesus unites his person. Jesus unites the person of the Son of God with all his attributes and privileges, and he is the royal son. The Bible says he's the wisdom of God. He is uniquely qualified to be God's final word. He is. So Jesus is the prophet in which God has spoken his final word, he's the great high priest who has made purification for our sins. He laid down His life for His sheep. John 10. And He's also the exalted King. He's the heir of all things. He's enthroned with power and glory at the right hand of God. The one who is God, the one who is sovereign and glorious, is also the one who came down to this world to put away your sin and mine. Please listen to Jesus. He came to purify us and cleanse us from all our dark stains of moral corruption. He did this so that you can have access to God. He did this so that you could belong to the Father. Christ did this so that you could enjoy fellowship with God. He did this so that you could be a son or daughter of God by faith. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down when he returned to heaven. Why? Because his work was done. Nothing, nothing can be added to the work of Christ on behalf of sinners. It's not Jesus plus anything. It's not Jesus plus traditions. Jesus plus anything. It's not. There's no way possible, according to this text. When it comes to salvation, there's no room for self-cleansing. You can't clean your own self up enough to go to heaven. Are y'all listening? You can't. There's, there's no self-cleansing. There's not enough penance you can do to an earthly priest, which is bogus. There's only one great high priest, and he doesn't wear a robe and sit in a booth. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. You can't cleanse yourself. You can't do enough penance. You can't have enough human merit. You can't be like that hamster on the wheel and he runs and he runs and he runs and he thinks, maybe I'm going to run my way out of this cage. But in reality, he circles and he circles and he circles and he circles. That's what you're going to be doing if you think you can get to heaven by works because it can't be done. You're the hamster on the wheel of good works. God, however, is fully satisfied with the sacrifice of his son. Are y'all listening? He's fully satisfied satisfied nothing nothing can be added to the merit of his blood and here folks listen we're going to application until you come to the end of your striving and trust Jesus you can never be saved until you come to the end of your self-cleansing of your human penance whatever that may be until you come to the end of all of that and trust Jesus only for salvation you will never be saved we all want an inside source don't we Garth Brooks says he likes friends in low places. (laughs) Not me. I like friends in high places. And Jesus is the highest friend in the highest place that you could ever imagine. Hear me, folks. Someone who can help you in your trouble. Hebrews says he is one that can sympathize with you. Because he's gone through everything you've ever gone through yet without sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We all want that inside source, a friend in high places, someone who can help us in our trouble. The higher the source, the closer you come to the seat of power. Since the Son is at the Father's right hand, you've got a friend in heaven who dwells eternally at the throne of God. He's actually on the throne. When you pray, you're talking to the one who is at the very center of all things, according to this text. He reigns in heaven. I've got news for you today. He reigns over the devil. The devil is an evil being, but he's God's devil. And the Lord God Almighty rules over him. It's not like there's a cosmic struggle of evil and good, and one of them's gonna win out in the day. No, the script has already been set. Don't ever, don't ever bring him up anywhere close to the God who created him. Never do that. So he reigns over the devil. Here's the deal he reigns over the Middle East, he reigns over America. He reigns over the elements of nature. He reigns over the past. He reigns over the present. And he reigns over the future. Some of you church members realize this. But he also reigns over cancer. He reigns over heart attacks. And he reigns over death itself. Because the Lord God Almighty plucked a stinger straight out of death when he walked out of the tomb. And you're going to do the same thing one day. Right? He's going to resurrect that body out of the grave. So... Someday, soon, he's going to return. And he's going to reign visibly from David's throne in Jerusalem. He's coming again. So God has given him a name that is above every name. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everybody's going to confess. Lost and saved. Don't let it be everlastingly too late. Bow and confess his name Now, Because if you don't, you won't do it then, not unto salvation. You'll do it because you're forced to know, as a lost person, that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day the whole universe will bow willingly or unwillingly and openly declare that Jesus is Lord. The hymn writer said it well in verse 2 of Just As I Am. Listen to these words. Just as I am... And waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. Now listen to verse five. Just as I am, you will receive. Will, comma, welcome, comma, pardon, common. Comma, cleanse. Comma, relieve. Awesome. Because your promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. Some of us could take relief. Because you're trying to bear that sin on your own, you can never do it. Turn to Jesus, who made purification for our sins. And he did it completely, definitively, for all time, because he sat down. Lord God, help. Lord, give ears to hear and eyes to see. Only you can give us eyes to see the glory of Christ. Your spirit and your word. Lord, my prayer is that if there's anyone in this building trusting anything other than Christ in order to be saved, you would help them in their faith. To believe the gospel. Give them the faith to believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is is salvation in no other. There is no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Must be saved. Lord, only you can save a soul. God, help us today to think of those two things. In your humiliation, as the Son of God, you came down to this earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. To live the law of God perfectly. And then, Lord... For you and your obedience to the Lord God, you willingly went to the cross. No man takes your life from you. You laid it down willingly. And you did it on a mission to purify us from our sins. And you did so. No greater love can there be than a friend lay down his life for his brother. That's what you did for us in order to save us, to pay that penalty for our sin. Lord, help us think about your humiliation and what it led to. It led to the purging of our sins. But, Lord, you're now exalted in the heavens. Let us not miss this. Help us not to disconnect you. You are king of glory. You were the man of sorrows. You are the king of glory. Lord, help us to see that connection. Lord, help us to know that you're ruling and you're reigning and you will build your church. Which reminds us of our missionaries today. That, that are out. Why? Because you rule and you reign. And they're fulfilling that. They're, they're moving. They're going. Why? Because you will build your church. And we take that as your word. And we respond. And we're obedient. Lord, protect them. Father, would you speak to hearts during the invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: Savior say Thy strength Indeed is small Child of weakness Watch and pray Find in me Thine all in all Jesus Paid it all All to Him I owe Sin hath Left a crimson stain He
4: washed It white as snow Folks, are you holding on to any other thing for for forgiveness of sin and access to heaven? Are you holding on to anything other than Christ? If you are, you don't believe that Jesus paid it all. Don't sing the words if you don't believe it. Right? But the Bible says he made purification for sins. He paid it all. All to him we owe. So are you trusting in that payment for your sins? Are you trusting in Him only? Uh, The key word in the Reformation was alone. You understand that, right? The solas, the five, sola scriptura, sola gratia, by grace through faith alone, sola fide, uh, sola de gloria, for the glory of God. All those things have alone in them. Sola. Why? Because... There are a lot of religions that will tell you that Jesus Christ can save you or will. And you need faith and you need grace. But they won't say alone. Alone is a key word. Is it only Jesus alone that saves? The Bible says there is no other name given among men under heaven whereby you must be saved. It is Christ alone. It is by grace alone alone. Through faith alone. That's the only way mankind will ever be saved. Are you trusting in Jesus for salvation? Let's sing. For
3: nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's land. Jesus paid.
4: Well, amen. Now let's live what we've heard. Let's don't flounder around. Let's don't mealy mouth around. Let's make sure we're honest with people in the world that need Jesus. Not hiccup at the question: Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Like Joel Osteen does? That's not the gospel. That's bogus. Good Hebrew word for that is baloney. Let's be honest. If mankind can only be saved through Christ who washed away our sins, we better preach it. We better teach it. That it's only Christ that saves. Amen? Amen. All right. So let's live that out. I'm not talking about being bigoted. I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm talking about being truthful. To share with people what the Bible says. Nothing but the blood of Jesus can wash away our sins. He paid it all, and all to Him we owe. Amen? So we don't have Sunday night service tonight, but there are some Bethlehem practices. And if you haven't gotten your, uh, what do you call it, outfit? Co- costume. Costume. And if you haven't, if you haven't gotten your t-shirt, you, somebody holler t-shirt, get one of those too. And uh, God bless each one of you. No Sunday night service tonight. Uh, to God be the glory. Love each one of you.
0: Hey, please remember uh, to pray daily until uh, we meet again uh, for our mission team in Asia. Uh, remember they are going to be in a place that to their knowledge, nobody has ever shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, with this group. So please pray for our mission team in Asia.